Welcome to His Church Owensboro Podcast. We are so excited about what God is doing in your life, and we would love to hear from you. Visit us at hischurch.cc and let us know about all of the things that God is doing in your life. If you have been blessed by this podcast and would consider supporting us financially, please visit hischurch.cc and click on Give to see the many options available. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message blesses you. Lord, one more big hand clap in the house of God today. Anybody glad to be in God's house on Sunday morning? Man, I'm glad to be in God's house. Why don't you turn to your neighbor, tell him this, say you're lucky you got to sit by me again today. And uh, we've had a busy weekend here in Amarillo, and also the Dumas campus came over, but we had a women's conference. Did you ladies have a good time the, the last uh, was it just one day, I think, one day, uh, they even let me come preach to a women's conference, which was amazing, and I remember back years and years ago, one of my first assignments, whenever I was, I was helping at this church, the first thing I did at this church in 1998 is I, they made me the chairman of the church, and what the chairman of the church did back then is we took all the chairs down after service because we had a school and a gym in here, and then we set them all up before service, so I take down and put up like 500 church a week, uh, chairs a weekend for church. And then we were taking 40 women to a women's conference in Seattle, Washington. And it was my job to help coordinate all the luggage, the tickets, the travel, to get everybody in and out of the hotel and kind of, you know, lead that mob of women, if you will, to Seattle. And I was flying on the plane and I didn't want to tell anybody where I was going because I was going to a women's conference, right? It's where I was headed to. I'm like 20, 21 years old. I'm sitting by this guy, he's like, where, where are you headed to? I'm like, well, I'm headed to Seattle. He's like, what are you doing in Seattle? I said, well, I'm going to a women's conference. <laughs> and he said, what do you mean? I said, I got 40 women with me and I'm taking them to a, a women's conference. He said, you have 40 women traveling with you right now? He said, you the man, son. <laughs> That's what he said to me. And I thought, hey, I, come on, I, I'm the man now. So I may go on the road preaching women's conferences. Um, I already have had a, an illustrious um, career as a plus-size male model. So this is next in my life. If you have your Bible on you, Come on, go ahead and open it up today. I want you to open up your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 20, 1 Samuel chapter 20 and verse 3. And come on, let's give all of our other campuses a big hand clap that are watching online right now. We love you. We appreciate you. We're all together, one family, different rooms, one house. And I want to pick up where I've been preaching and teaching out of the life of King David. I really believe this about David. If you were to give David any title... If you look at his life, all of his accomplishments, all that he's done, you wouldn't just call him David. I think you would call him King David the Great because this man was greatly accomplished. And he didn't get to where he was called to be without a lot of trauma, a lot of tribulation, a lot of trouble, a lot of trial, and a lot of attack. But still God kept lifting him higher and higher and higher in life because he was a man of honor of the presence of God. I don't know about you, but I want to live my life as a life that honors the presence and the power and the anointing and the grace and the goodness of God. And as David honored God, God began to honor David. Didn't mean that every day was going to be perfect. How many know just because God is for you doesn't mean every day is going to be easy? Can I get an amen, church? As a matter of fact, I think sometimes opposition is proof of the presence of God in your life. 
David wrote this and he says that God prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Whenever enemies show up in my life, I begin to thank God because I know a table is already being prepared. The enemy is proof of the table or the provision of God just because the enemy shows up. And an enemy shows up in David's life, I preached about it a few weeks ago, by the name of Goliath. Twice his size. Looks like nobody can take him out. David walks out. He has his sling in his hand, his staff in his hand, the tools that he was trained with, the tools of a shepherd, takes his, his sling, releases one of those rocks. As a matter of fact, people that study ballistics say that a sling can throw a rock with the same stopping power as a forty-five caliber pistol. It's not a toy, it's a weapon. And he kills the giant. Then he takes the giant's sword and he cuts off his head. Whenever he does that, he's, he's skyrocketed to fame in Israel. So he goes from a zero to a hero. It wasn't overnight, it was a long time. But people from the outside always look and they'll call someone an overnight success. How many know most overnight successes were 20, 25 years in the making, right? David kills this giant. Everybody says he's an overnight success. They start writing songs about him. And they include King Saul in the songs. Here's how the song goes. The song says, David, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. How do you think King Saul liked it whenever he heard that song sung on the radio? He begins to hate David. Jealousy enters his heart. And he becomes so jealous, he becomes infatuated with the fact that David is going to take his throne. And he begins to concoct ways in his mind. He's already a paranoid schizophrenic. If you look at his character attributes, you can see that he's falling apart in life. And he begins to think of how am I going to take this young leader out because this young leader is going to take my place. Leaders in the room, doesn't matter if you're a religious leader or a business leader or a church leader or a political leader. Come on, we ought not try to assassinate those that come after us. We ought to lift them up and speak well of them and train them and help them. And come on, when our day is over, maybe they'll still make a place for us to be a voice of wisdom in their life. Amen? seen so many churches live and die on one generation of leadership. Saul was that kind of guy. Says, I'm going to kill David. Here's what, here's what it says. As a matter of fact, David uh, is in the courts of Saul. And Saul begins to, to let David come in, start to play his harp for him. And then Saul's sitting at the throne with his, with his spear, just hanging out. Whenever David's caught up in worship, Saul begins to take his spear and try to pin David to the wall. But God quickens David and David escapes. And David and Saul's son, Jonathan, they become friends. They become more than just friends, they become covenant friends. Now, the way we say friend in America is very casual. How many of you have thousands of Facebook friends? Can I get an amen out there, right? I think I'm maxed out on Facebook friends. I can't accept anymore. But my Facebook friends, how many of them are think you think would give me bail money if I got arrested? How many of them do you think would bail me out? Not many of them. How many, are going to, how many are going to come to the hospital and pray for me 
in the midst of what the world calls a pandemic. How I many know not many people are going to do that, right? So they're more or less acquaintances. But if you called yourself a friend in the ancient Near East, you were a covenant friend. And here's the pledge you made before God and each other, that we would provide for each other to the exhaustion of our resources, that we would stand for each other even if it came between us and family, and that we would defend each other to the shedding of our lifeblood. That's why the Bible says Jesus is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Come on, let's give Jesus a hand clap. He is our covenant friend. He has provided for us. He will stand for us, and he spilled his blood for us. Amen? Jonathan and David, they have this kind of relationship. I want you to look at, at 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 3. It says this, they make this oath together, this covenant of strong friendship. It's the same covenant God himself made with Abraham says this, it says, then David took an oath again and said, your father certainly knows that I found favor in your eyes. And he has said, do not let Jonathan know this lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. David goes to Saul and he says, listen, your dad knows that we're friends. They take an oath together. That they're, they're reaffirming their covenant of strong friendship. And Jonathan loved David when he saw that God's anointing was on David's life. The anointing will often draw the right people to you in life. Whenever somebody's drawn to you in life, you ought to thank God for it because relationships are a gift from God. I'll tell you what the anointing will also do. It'll make the wrong people hate you in life. And sometimes when people love you, you ought to praise God because God's in it. Sometimes when people hate you, you ought to praise God because God's in it. Because the best thing that could happen is to keep those people out of the midst of your life. See, whenever God wants to bless you, he brings a person into your life. Whenever the devil wants to destroy you, he brings a person into your life. You just have to learn to discern who is who. And so... David and Saul, David and, and Jonathan are talking, and David says, I, I, I know your dad wants to kill me. I know that he knows that we're connected. And they take an oath. And he says this he says that they work out a deal where David could know whether Saul wants to kill him or not. A little later in the story. But David says these words As sure as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. There's but a step between me and death. Do you know each and every one of us in this room, everybody watching online, everybody at every campus, the reality is every day of our life there is but a step between us and death. Can I get an amen? The Bible teaches that life is a vapor, that it's here one moment and it's gone the next. Life is fragile. Life is fleeting. I don't know how many times I've stood in hospital rooms and I've watched people breathe their life last breath. I don't know how many funerals we've done. I'm telling you, life is here for a moment and then it's gone. Our life is a gift from God. And what we do with the life God's given us is our gift back to God. Make your life count. There is but a step between you and death. And David's literally in this situation. Think about it. Strongest man in the world's just called a hit out on his life. Everybody is going to get paid off. They can assassinate David and they can bring David back in pieces to Saul. So it would be like in our world if the president of the United States put a mark on you. 
How many know that they're, they're in, the, in a natural realm, there's nowhere you could run, there's nowhere you could hide, there would be no safety. And so David flees to the wilderness. He had been, David, uh, the, the psalmist, he had been David the soldier. He just had one of the greatest days of his life where he killed the giant. He'd been up on the mountain. Come on, he made the top 40 songs. David has killed his tens of thousands. Kids were downloading that song and playing it at all of the clubs around Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv didn't exist yet. Let's call it Jerusalem. Everybody knew about David. Next thing you know, David's on the most wanted list and he's running from his life. Oh, what a difference a day makes. How many of y'all have ever been on a mountain one day and in a valley the next? In a valley one day and on a mountain the next. Come on, that, I like that better, amen? Here's what I've found. The best fruit in your life doesn't grow on the mountaintop experiences. Come on, the best fruit that you'll ever have in your life, it always grows in the valley. It always grows in the tough times. It always grows in the challenges. Come on, it always grows when there's but a step between you and death. See, I love the high times. I love the good times. But David is made a king. Not whenever he's David the psalmist necessarily. He's made a king whenever he's David the sought. And he has to run for his life. The story says that God kept David one step ahead of his enemy. I declare over your life that our God's going to keep you one step. Come on, church. God's going to keep you one step ahead of the plan of your enemy. That's my declaration over your life. I declare over your children that God's going to keep them one step ahead of their enemies. I declare over your grandchildren God's going to keep them one step above the enemy of their soul. And the story says that David's out in the wilderness. He's hiding from Saul. Literally, it says this in 2 Samuel chapter 22. It says, Saul would be on one side of the mountain, and David and his men would be on the other side of the mountain. So David made haste to get away from Saul, for Saul and his men were encircling David and his men to take him. It's an illustration of what God would do for David whenever they were trying to take him out. David's going up one mountain. Man, Saul's coming up the other side. God would lead him to the right, and Saul's coming to the left. And Saul and his men, they're, 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 they're mighty, they're trained, there are many of them. And what keeps happening is David keeps getting away from them again and again and again because God keeps him one step ahead of his enemy. Church, I want you to know that our enemy is not better prepared than we are for war. Right now we are at war for the soul and the heart of our nation and at war for the heart and the soul of the next generation and at war for the heart and the soul of humans all over the world. And our enemy is not more prepared to take the ground. Come on, God is prepared us with every spiritual gift and everything we need. We have more than enough for every good work. David finds himself hiding in the wilderness. So if you feel like something's after you right now, if you feel like you're David the sought, I've got some news for you. I got some things that you need to have in your life when you're just one step from death. These are things you need to have. And listen, I've been in some situations that look pretty hairy. I've been in some stuff that I didn't know if I was getting all the way out of it or not. And sometimes those things still keep coming at me day to day. Here's some things I want to have whenever somebody's going to knock me off. First thing I want to have in my hand whenever they're coming after me is I want to have a sword. Come on, turn to your neighbor, tell them you need a sword this morning. Tell them you need a sword. Here's what it says, 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 9. David, they're, they're chasing him. David, it says this, you need a sword. So David, so the priest said, 
He goes down to a certain place. There's a group of priests. David flows through this town. There's the priest and there's a temple there. David goes in. He's talking to the priest. So the priest said, the sword of Goliath the Philistine, who you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take it, take that, take it. For, for there is no one except that one here. And David said, there is none other like it. Give it to me. First thing you need if you're going into a battle, come on church, you're going to need a sword. Can I get an amen out there? David has to leave. He flees for his life and he goes without his arms. And I'll tell you one thing about having a sword is you never know when you're going to need one, so you better have one on you. David goes and he gets down. He says, i got to have a weapon. They're going to kill me. Goes to a certain place, finds a priest that is an ally. He knows he won't sell him out. He doesn't think he will to the servants of Saul, and he thinks maybe they don't know the situation yet. And he goes in and he says, I need a sword. I'm asking for a sword. And they bring that same sword that David used to take the head of his enemy. They pull out this massive sword. He says, the only sword we have here in this area is the sword of Goliath. Can you imagine what the sword of Goliath looked like? So it's a sword that belonged to a nine-foot-tall man. They bring it out, and they bring it to David. David looks at the sword, and he says, bring me the sword of Goliath. There is none other like it. I'm telling you right now, you have a sword in your hand. Christian, you have a sword in your hand, brother. You have a sword in your hand, sister, that there is none other like it. You have a book in your hand. There's not another book like this in the world. This book has shaped Western culture. This book has shaped the mindset by which we were raised in. This book has given us the gospel. There is no other sword like this sword. The Bible says that the word of God is sharp and powerful, quicker than any double-edged sword, piercing down to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, a, a, a joint and marrow, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Whenever the word is preached or the word is read or the word is heard, it gets down to the core of the issue. Why do people get so offended when you tell them the truth of the word of God, because it cuts through all the smoke and the lies, and it gets right down to the issues of the heart. Amen? Why? Why? Why, why do people not want this taught now? In some of our public institutions, it's because it's too revealing of the soul of humanity. And they try to act like America wasn't built on this. But America was built a Christian nation. The founders and the framers were theologically trained. Almost all of them attended church. Right now, the America you're living in, it, not every part of it's perfect, but I'm telling you, it's the greatest nation on earth because the sword of the Lord was used to help cut out this nation. The sword of the Lord will change your life. I remember whenever I first fell in love with the Bible. I, I was here in Amarillo, and uh, I got to say this. The, the Bible was always easier for me than prayer and, and, and worship. Like, I would try to pray, I wanted to pray, and I would start praying, and I would hear people preach these sermons on prayer, and I would say, you know, I'm gonna start praying whatever, 30 minutes a day. And it'd be three minutes into my prayer time, and I would be asleep, and then my 30 minutes would be over, and I would feel bad, and I would get up and I would go. So prayer was always kind of a struggle. But I could open up the Bible, and when I began to read, I remember it's like the pages would come alive to me. Now, I'd get enthralled in the stories. The more of the Bible you read, the more you get a thirst 
for the Word of God. Some of you say, I don't understand the Bible or the Bible bores me. Well, you haven't, you haven't read the right stories. Because I'm telling you, the Bible is not PG. You think Netflix are rough? You ought to read some of these Old Testament stories. Talking about wars, talking about uh, affairs, men talking about hits, assassinations, kingdoms rising and falling, prophets, come on, like, like, like kingdoms invading other kingdoms. Then you get to the New Testament, you're talking about miracles, signs and wonders, healings, blind eyes opening, deaf ears hearing. You, you talk about cultures being invaded with the gospel, guys willing to give their head so that Jesus might be preached. I'm telling you, there's no other book like the book of God. Bring me the book of heaven. I take it, I read, for no other reason than this, that I might find my way into glory. See, there's nothing else like the word of the living God. Come on, if we would get back to caring about the Bible, get back to making the Bible first. Doesn't matter if the enemy's coming after you. If you've got the sword of the Lord, the sword of the Spirit, you have something more powerful than the devil's ever had. If the devil comes at you, you take the Word of God and you say, it is written. And you quote the Scripture and the devil has to flee. And I'm here to tell you, if it is written, then it is finished. It is a done deal. You can take it to the bank. You need the sword of the Lord in your hand. Can I get an amen out there? First thing you need is the sword. Something's coming after you to take you out. Second way you see if you're in a situation where something's trying to take you out, you need to see it as a training ground. Come on, turn to your neighbor, tell them it's all training. Just tell them that. It's all training. Man, things I thought that would destroy me and Jesse back in the day, now I know they were just like one-on-one type classes, getting us ready for what we would face in the future. Stuff we face today, it's really simple stuff getting us ready for what we're going to face tomorrow. Every day is a test. And whenever you pass that test, you go on to the next level. Had a good friend, went on to be with the Lord, one of my best friends in the world this last year. His name's Bob Mannion. Now, Owensboro campus, the people that are watching online, we love Bob. Bob will help build that church in Owensboro. I'll tell you, he was with that church for 15 years. Come on, let's give God a hand clap for somebody that stayed with us for 15 years and Bob became a friend and a mentor um, you know Bob was close to 70 I think when he went on to be with the Lord now I used to play golf with Bob once a week and do I have any golfers out in the crowd right now anybody likes to golf I used to play a ton growing up now I don't have time to play but my dad played every afternoon and uh, I, I still get to play you know when I'm on vacation or something like that. But what used to drive me crazy, and if you know anything about golf etiquette, if you hit a golf ball into another group of men, you've essentially fired a missile into their foursome, right? And if you hit somebody in the head with a golf ball, you can kill them. And so you're going to hit bad shots. Everybody knows that. Especially you're out there playing golf, you're going to hit one right, you're going to hit one left. But you yell four when a ball's coming in. That way, you give them fair warning. They're on the golf course. They know the risks they're taking. They're big boys and girls. It's on them, but you got to give them the warning for. And if somebody hits into you, or it's a golfer that knows you're within range, and they hit a ball into you on purpose, which is a big no-no, or they don't yell for, it'll make, it would make me mad enough. 
I know this is hard to believe because I'm a gentle, loving, caring pastor, and, and you could hardly ever see me get bent out of shape about anything. My personality type's very, very docile, but it would make me mad enough that I would want to fight. And sometimes I would turn around, and I'd just fire that ball right back into their foursome. Just stand there and wait, you know. Come on, it's like, you want to go? Let's go. Here I am. This is in my 20s, all right? Just so you know, this is my 20s. This has been a good, over a decade ago. And I'd be playing with Bob. And uh, every time we played golf, somebody would hit a golf ball into us. Every time. And you know, every time they hit a golf ball into us, you know what I would do? I would go crackhead crazy. Every time. And finally one day Bob sat me down and he said, Brian, son, do you think maybe, just maybe, this is a training ground or a test? And if you wouldn't lose your mind, people would stop hitting golf balls into us? Come on, somebody. Maybe it's a test you need to pass. They hit into me again the next time I'm with Bob, and that vein popped out in my forehead. And I said, praise the Lord, I love those people back there that are trying to kill us right now, those terrorists back there, those jihadis behind us on the golf course. I love them with all of my heart right now. And I didn't say anything. You know what's never happened to me since? No one has ever intentionally hit a golf ball into me again because I finally passed the test. I don't know about you, but I want to pass the test. Can I get an amen out there? David has a big test, needs a training ground. The cave of Adullam becomes David's training ground. He has to run, he has to hide in his life in a cave. Goes from a king's palace to a cave. He's out there by himself. And here's what the Bible says, 1 Samuel 22, verse 2. It says, everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. David's out doing his thing. He's this leader. He's hiding in the cave of Adullam. And then all these people start showing up whenever David is being sought to have his life taken. And you know, the cream of the crop, they come to David. Who are they? Everyone who was in debt. Everyone who was distressed, everyone who was discontented, they come out to David. Every derelict in Israel and the surrounding region, they come to David in the cave of Adullam. And he's there with all of the village idiots. And this is his testing ground. It's his training ground. God's going to use him to lead Judah. God's going to use him to lead Israel. But before you can lead Israel, before you can lead Judah, you've got to learn to lead in the cave of Adullam. Before you can be CEO, you got to learn to work somewhere on the floor in the business. Can I get an amen? Before you can be the boss, you got to put your hours in somewhere else. A lot of people think they're going to come out of school or come out of whatever they're doing and they're going right to the top. Life doesn't work like that. You sow and then there's time and then you reap. And so David's training ground is the cave of Adullam. He's got men there. I'm sure many of them are criminals. They've done all kinds of things. He's got to lead them out there with no resources hardly, with someone hunting their life, with everything messed up, and he's a leader. It's a whole lot. I think about uh, the, uh, that Jesse and I, we kind of had an area of our life I referred to as the cave of Adullam. That's whenever we started planting churches. We went from ministering at a church above Kansas City 
Had 4,000 people in it, town of 80,000. It was a massive church. I had a 24-hour prayer center that I oversaw that the stone in the prayer center was cut out of Jerusalem stone imported from Jerusalem. Baby grand piano on the stage. Nicest sound system you've ever seen. There was a cafe right down the way that had uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner made in-house at the church. Jesse had a youth group of 600 kids where she was the youth pastor of all of those kids. Taught in the school of ministry. Everything was evil, e easy. We were on top. And then God called us one day to be a church planner. So we walked from that, being in the midst of this place where everything was perfect, and we walked into a, a little bitty town where we knew anybody, we didn't know anybody, didn't know a soul in Owensboro, Kentucky, with no money, no funding, nothing but the gospel and a Bible. We started preaching, and we said, God's going to build a great church in this city, and we started with nothing. And I started hanging out in a local pizza shop was a pizza shop, and they had heavy metal bands that played there on the weekends. And I would sit in that pizza shop, and I would eat pizza, and I would connect with 19, 18, 20-year-old kids who were messed up, going nowhere in life. And I ate the pizza, and I ministered to the kids, and I gained 30 pounds in like two months. That's what I did in there. Then the metal bands, they would come and play. And um, it wasn't a Christian venue, but, but a Christian family owned that at the time. And they would allow me to jump up and to preach between the metal bands. So one metal band is clearing off their stuff. Another metal band's coming on. I would jump up on the stage and I would start preaching the gospel to a metal crowd that did not come to hear a Christian message. And I would be up there preaching, Jesus loves you. And kids would be like, I hate your guts. And I would be like, I hate you too, but Jesus loves you. And he died to save you, you know. They'd be like, go to hell. And I'm like, yeah, you're going to hell, but you can go to heaven if you'll repent of your sins, right? And I would just work that crowd. And I would preach. They'd cuss me and scream at me and all that kind of stuff. You hadn't learned to preach till you preached to a heavy metal crowd. Can I get an amen? You want to learn to preach. Go preach to a room like that. I started off preaching in prisons and in rooms like that. And uh, you, you can learn to minister. You learn not to look at people's faces. You learn not to care what they say or think about you. Because I, I, I want you to like me. But I would rather have God in heaven like what I'm doing than any man on earth like what I'm doing. I'd rather please him than please you. And I learned that way back in those days. And you know what happened? Some of those kids started getting born again that hung around that pizza shop. Some of them started getting saved and filled with the Spirit, delivered from drugs. One of them sitting on the front row right now, Pastor Jordan Chrysley, right there. He's a product of that pizza shop. He's the campus pastor right now. And I'm telling you, he doesn't come to you as Pastor Jordan Chrysley. I got guys across the nation. When I travel and preach and we travel and I stand up and fight for the First Amendment and church's rights and that kind of stuff. And a lot of times Jordan will go with me. Man, Jordan, Jordan walked with me into some of the most dangerous riots in the history of American soil. You remember when they were storming the White House last year trying to get over the gates? We got on a plane and we went right there, the two of us, walked into it alone, unarmed. And it was a, a really racial tension was as high as it had ever been in America. We say we're tired of coward pastors who'll hide on their stages in their green room 
We believe that if men of, men of peace will walk where the drama and the trauma is, the peace of God will be released into the situation. We're driving across the bridge. You fly into Virginia. We're driving into D.C. We're quiet because we don't know what's going to happen to us when we get down here. It was violent. They called them mostly peaceful protests. There was nothing peaceful about them. I stood in the middle of them and watched cities burn all over America. Pastor Jordan looks over at me. We're driving in. He says, hey, Pastor, if they start killing us down here, they try to martyr us, do we let them kill us or do we fight and run? And he was serious. He was waiting on me to give him the word, whether we're going to die if they start beating us for the gospel. I turned around to him. I said, we got kids to raise. We're going to fight. And we're going to run. We ain't dying today, brother. That's what I, we're, not, we're not dying today. I don't care what we have to do. We're going to preach the gospel. And so guys out there will, will say, I wish I had a Jordan with me. And they think you, you, you get leaders like that just overnight. We've been together 18, maybe more years now, ministering. We didn't meet when we had a national platform. We didn't meet on the set of Fox and Friends. We didn't meet because I was on Newsmax. You know where we met? We met in a busted up pizza shop in a metal venue where we were there praying. And he was learning not to grow pot on his porch as a fireman. Praise God. It was a good lesson, wasn't it, Pastor Jordan? See, those relationships you, you get in those tough times, Cave of Adullam, those are the training grounds to make you ready for other times in life. And every step is a step, takes you to the next place of grace. And if you miss out on the Cave of Adullam, I don't think that you ever get to sit on the throne of all of Israel. If David doesn't learn these lessons out there where everything's busted up, he never makes it all the way in. He doesn't get to bring the ark back to Jerusalem. He doesn't, he doesn't get to, to run the Jebusites out of, out of the, the city of David. He doesn't get to win all these wars. He doesn't, he doesn't make Israel a nation if it isn't for the cave of Adullam. Man, we got, we got a little building down there. It, it's Second and Allen, Owensboro, Kentucky. I remember it was the first church we, we had to preach in. Yeah, I, I think of it being as it was literally the cave of Adullam. We went in there. There was a bar there called Club 101. The guy that had it before us got busted dealing ecstasy and coke and had to give up his bar. I walked in it, looked around. It was up to be leased. We had nowhere to go for a church. I said, man, this will make the greatest church on earth. How Who wouldn't want to take a tavern and turn it into a tabernacle for God most high? I mean, I mean, this will work. This is awesome. And that thing had, had bats in it. If you hit a certain key on the keyboard, bats would come out of the top and swirl around the sanctuary. Bats are hard on first-time guests. I'm just telling you, they don't want to come back next week thing had bats in it it had rats in it right down the way there's Owensboro granary and I'm not talking about your normal rat I'm talking like an east coast corn fed rat this thing was doing well and uh our greeters walked in we used to give away mints at the door when he came to church one day our greeters walked in this rat's like this tall he's setting up and he's eating one of those mints right there in the door 
Don't eat, eat the mints ever if you go to a church. Don't eat the mints, amen? I never eat a mint at a restaurant or church or anything after that. We had bats and we had rats. But I'm telling you what, everybody that was discontent, everybody that was in debt, everybody that was addicted, everybody that was messed up, they came to that church and we had revival. And lives got changed. And there were no normal church folk there. Like I remember, I remember there was this young couple came to church one day. They walked in, they were dressed for church. They had Bibles under their arm. They sat down on the front row. Me and Jesse are looking at each other, looking at these people. I'm like, my God, these people aren't even on heroin, Jesse. <laughs> what are they doing at our church back then? How many know you need hurting people, but eventually you need people who can help hurting people to come alongside and help? Amen. That's the vision for the church here. That was Tiffany. She showed up not like a heroin addict way back when. Now she's a pastor on staff. Right there. So I say all that to say that you may not like where you are right now. That it may feel like something's coming after you, something's, try, something's trying to kill you. But if you'll look at it as a training ground, it's going to prepare you for something greater. Instead of this season taking you out, this season can take you up to another level you would never thought you would make all the days of your life. I wouldn't trade one day in the cave of Adullam for a day anywhere on the mountaintop. Come on, let's give God a hand clap for all the great lessons. I've got a lot of other things I could preach about this, but I'm out of time. So why don't you stand up on your feet right where you are? Come on, while everybody's watching right now, I want to I wanna say this. We got a lot of people that are facing vaccine mandates that they don't want to take. And listen, it's your choice. I'm not getting on to you if you've taken it or haven't taken it. That's not what I'm addressing right now. But I believe in America, we should still have choice. Can I get an amen out there? This is still America. This is not Saudi Arabia. This is not Australia. This is not North Korea. This is not Iran. You are thinking adult humans. The government is not your God. It is only your government. And they've overstepped their bounds now where they think they are your God. And so many of you need religious exemptions where you work. And I know that you're duly opposed to complying to such a mandate. And we at his church at all the campuses will gladly write you a religious exemption and see your faith talk to you. We'll stand in your corner. I'm with you. If you need the right legal counsel, we'll do everything we can to find them. Those guys are swamped right now, by the way. So, so the lawsuits are going to be bridal high, if not higher. And uh, all of that's coming. One of my friends won, a, won a, 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 a temporary stay against that just yesterday from the great state of Texas. Now I'm thankful for the Attorney General, Ken Paxton, praying for him every day. So... If you want to know what ball, side of the ball I fall on, I fall on the side of the ball of freedom. I fall on the side of the ball of a traditional America, Christian values, where we can worship unopposed, and for the right to the freedom of speech in America. 
and I'll stand with you. So if you need those, know that we're not afraid to do that with you and for you. Amen. A lot of churches won't because they're scared they'll be sued. They want to sue me, they can get in line. That's all I got to say. Get in line. I'm not afraid. That goes for all of our campuses. Having said that, I'm going to pray for you now, all right? Come on, bow your head. You may want to lift a hand to heaven. Some of you feel like you're in the cave of Adullam right now. You feel like you're in this tough place. You feel like you're sought. You don't know the next step. You feel like, man, there's, there's like a step between me and death. I'm telling you what, God's with you. God's for you. God isn't, hasn't left you. God is right there closer than your breath. God's going to lead you and guide you. Father, right now I thank you for the leading hand of God. May it be upon this church. May it be upon our children. May it be upon our country. I pray and I bless these people now as their pastor, as a man of God. I speak a blessing over them. I thank you that even though Saul may come up one side of the mountain to take their life, that you lead them down the other side of the mountain and you keep them a step ahead of their enemy. I pray now, Father, that you would bless and lead and guide. I thank you for those that say I'm in the cave of Adullam. I thank you that they are not alone. For the Bible says if we ascended into the heavens, your spirit would be there. If we went all the way down into Sheol, still your spirit would be there. I thank you that the sword of the Lord, the word of God is always with us. And we say bring us the sword of Goliath. Bring us the book of God for there is none other like it. And it will get us through this season. Now I bless these your people. Strengthen them, I pray. I say be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. And in the power of his might. In the mighty matchless name of Jesus, I say we are not a weak church or a weak people. We're a strong church and a strong people in Jesus mighty mighty name and the church said amen 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 come on give jesus